They say it's in your blood, a game that can't be won, only played. A love affair, it satisfies the soul and frustrates the intellect. The greatest game ever played, golf. It's real. And this is Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper, son of legendary golfer Billy Casper. Talking golf with you for more than two decades. And now, here's Brian and Bob. Thank you very much and welcome into a U.S. Open edition of Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor alongside Bob Casper, son of two-time U.S. Open champion Billy Casper, who knows a little something about winning U.S. Opens. We're talking Wingfoot in 59, Olympic Club in 66, two of the preeminent challenging courses that host multiple U.S. Open championships throughout the years, and would be really interested to hear what your dad might think about L.A. Country Club over the first two rounds. Bob, uh, it's certainly been great to be in L.A. and to witness this championship. I think uh, so far I'll say L.A. has been a great host. The golf course is a fantastic test, and I'm not going to allow a little bit of soft conditions to ruin my party uh, because I think the U.S. Open's been great so far. Oh, I think it's been awesome. And you know what? When it comes down to it, you 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 can't blame Mother Nature because it is what it is. It's an outdoor but the sport. golf course is yeah. set up perfectly. Um, the holes are, are challenging for these players. You've got the right amount of birdie opportunities and the right amount of opportunities to make some big numbers just like Dustin Johnson did in the second round on the on the second hole and made a quadruple bogey, um, but it's it's a great great venue. They're going to go back to it again uh, later in 2030 and uh, in in the 2030s. And it's uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I loved it. And I you know what else I really loved about it? I loved that there was only 22,000 people on the golf course and you could get around and see. I love that too. I heard some of the fans on Twitter saying it feels like the pandemic years. No one's there. It's not that no one's there. It's that there's fewer and they're spread out and they're not stacked in grandstands. And so you don't have a stadium or cathedral like atmosphere, but for the golfer, for the, for the guy that loves to see an architecture, to see this beautiful property with the great views and skylines, man, you sure wouldn't want that blocked by a bunch of grandstands. So no. maybe it feels a little light on television, but I can tell you, walking around in person, the experience is tremendous, and it's it feels more intimate and up close with these players. And, man, do we have a leaderboard. What a story brewing in Ricky Fowler. We'll get into it next. Thanks for joining us. U.S. Open edition of Real Golf Radio. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting some practice in. I didn't have my best um, best on the approach today, so I'm hoping I can improve that and feel comfortable going into tomorrow. But, yeah, I mean, leading a major at any point and any time is always a good thing. So. Wyndham Clark finds himself not leading after two rounds, but he did taste the lead throughout the first two rounds of this U.S. Open, and he'll be playing in that final group alongside Ricky Fowler. Wow, what a story we have going at the 123rd Open U.S. Open Championship at L.A. Country Club. This segment brought to you in part by Black Desert Resort in St. George, Utah. You've been hearing us talk about it, and while the construction is ongoing with the resort, including the hotel, the water park, the shopping and dining areas, the golf course is open, and you 
can play it. All you got to do is go to blackdesertresort.com and book your tea time today and experience Black Desert for yourself. Home of the 2025 LPGA Black Desert Championship. Pretty cool stuff. Blackdesertresort.com. All right, uh, Bob, I... You know, Ricky Fowler was certainly not on the radar. It's great that he got inside the top 50 and he's making a bit of a comeback. We have mentioned his name this year, which is good because he seems to have been absent for a time. But I love a good comeback story. America loves a good comeback story. And Ricky Fowler is about as popular of a guy that's never won a major as you'll find out there in golf. And uh, his players, uh, fellow players and competitors respect him. The fans love him. And, you know, he's, he's he's a great guy to have up there at the top of the leaderboard after two rounds. He is, and uh, he's playing some great golf. Uh, Butch Harmon has brought him back um, from almost number 200 in the world, and here he is, number 45 currently. But he's playing some great golf. He figured some stuff out um, on on Wednesday evening, and he has parlayed that into 18 birdies over the last two rounds, 10 in the first round, and then eight in the second round. He currently stands at 10 under par, um, shooting rounds of 62 and 68. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, just didn't really see this coming, and he just is, seems to be doing it fairly effortless. You, meant, you mentioned all the birdies out there, and, you know, I, I just didn't think L.A. Country Club was going to yield it up. Now, yeah. we were out there early, early on Thursday morning, and it was socked in, and it started misting for about an hour. And so it... For all intents and purposes, Mother Nature shrinks those greens, you know, mm-hmm. on the opening round of the open, and there's nothing you can do about that. And players took advantage of it, but we saw plenty of guys get in trouble in that first round and shoot high scores. I think Justin Rose shot six over that day, and you saw, you know, we watched Rory McIlroy, you know, on the last hole. He had a little pit shot from pit high, and he took a big swipe at it, and ball went nowhere. You know, basically yeah. whiffed it. I mean, the, the the places to make mistakes and to uh, drop shots are everywhere on that golf course. But I'll tell you what: if you manage your golf ball the way that Ricky Fowler did and get yourself in in position, then you can take advantage of it. And then let's not forget: I mean, the guy's rolling the rock. His putter looks yep. good. Was well, actual putter i don't know if it's my favorite design but it's a big putter if you're into big putters i, I then then I'm, I'm i'm i guess you can go with that but nevertheless it's making putts his stroke looks good yeah and it's kind of counterbalanced as well but the great thing he has done or the the important thing he has done is he has played the first second and third hole in six under par he's birdied those three holes both days and uh, that's amazing when you can start um, in the second round and birdie one, two, and three. And when you can turn and go to that um, in the in the first round and birdie one, two, and three. That's I'll tell you what. That's golfing your ball, and he loves those holes. Well, I mean, he's, yeah, taking advantage where you need to take advantage, and uh, good for him. Um, Really, really awesome to see what Ricky's doing up there. Xander Schauffele, hey, look, this was my guy, you know, coming in, you know, the way too early pick, and then stuck with him. And, and this is a guy that's played in six Opens and five of the six times he's been top 10 in the U.S. Open. So he's not unfamiliar with the position. He understands that, uh, hey, look, it, it's just a day, you know, at that opening 62, and he came back in even par 70. So, you know, he's 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 going to he's gonna play it cool. He's not going to get too out of control. But uh, here's Xander after that record-setting 62 in uh, the opening round. The sun didn't come out, and it was misting this morning, so I'd say the... 
the greens held, held a little bit more moisture than anticipated for myself at least. Um, and I think it made the greens sort of that more holable speed almost. And then coming into greens, you're able to pull some wedges back. And then um, the fairways were a little bit softer too because of that sort of overcast. And without the sun out, it's not drying out much. So I think fairways were easier to hit and greens were a little bit softer. So, I mean, um, I'm anticipating the sun to come out uh, just as much as every West Coast person out here. So um, I'm thinking the course is going to firm up a little bit. I did that in round number two. There's no question, but uh, just kind of translate that. All of the little golf speak he just dropped in there, Bob, that basically translates to golf courses w- was gettable. It was gettable. It was it, it was as gettable as it could be um, in that first round in the morning. There was no wind. You had the moisture in the golf course. Um, the greens were softer. And uh, both those guys, Ricky Fowler, and Xander Shoffley shooting 62, but both those guys are Southern California boys, and they understand how to play golf in Southern California, especially in that marine lair and that June gloom, they call it there, and uh, and they were able to shoot those 62s. The lowest score in U.S. Open history ever, Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley. And how about that? 122 of these things had been played and no 62s had been shot. And within yep. 20 minutes of each other, there were a pair of them. So, and and by the way, coming off the heels of, of Johnny Miller being honored for the Bobby Jones Award by the USGA on the 50th anniversary of his 63 final round score of the 73 open at Oakmont where he came from six back to win. So um, pretty impressive that, you know, Johnny was even asked about it. He's like, oh yeah, there'll, there'll be lower numbers shot. But, you know, can you do it to win on a Sunday, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. he does hold that distinction. But I, I can't get past this. The golf course, we, in your mind, in your preparation for a U.S. Open is always survival in some ways. It's, it's, mm-hmm. You have to kind of be a little conservative. You don't want to shoot yourself out in the first round. you got to go out there. It's a bit of a dance. You want to feel it out. How about those two players in, in Shoffley and Fowler being comfortable enough to recognize the opportunity and go out and take it because it, it was out there. And I'm not suggesting yeah. that other guys didn't, but it's like you heard the players say, it didn't quite feel like that's what you should be doing in the first round of a U.S. Open, but it was right there. And so why not? Yeah. And, you know, you get on a roll and things are happening. You're hitting good shots. You're making putts. You're hitting ball close to the hole. And you know what? These guys don't care. They really don't care. Their, their idea is, you know, I'm not going to walk on eggshells because we're in a U.S. Open. Mm. No, if the course presents itself and they have a chance to make birdies, they're going full tilt. It's let's go and let's see how we, deep we can take it. And, the, and both those guys did. 29 players under par after two rounds. How many do you suppose, given what we have seen and understanding that it's probably going to dry out and get firmer and faster, how many players do you suppose Sunday are still in red figures? I, you know, I would say there's probably going to be double digits, maybe 15. Um, you know, it came back a little bit from the first round to the second round. But I, w- I would think as this golf course starts to get more difficult and more tough and uh, it's coming to the USGA and making it more bouncy and, and more firm, then I think, you you know, you're going to have a bunch of those guys kind of sift out of out of that position of being in the top 25 or 30. And we're going to have probably about 12 to 15 that probably are under par when it's all done. Well, and to your point, Bob, Tony Fino there at 11th, he's at three under par 
And so you've only got 11 guys at three or deeper. So you start looking at all the guys at twos and ones, and that's more than half. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very easy to drop a couple of shots and end up in the black, and that's going to happen, right? And there's some guys up there that probably you wouldn't have expected to be up there, and so they're going to be finding themselves with some uh, some things to think about going into the weekend. Now, cut came at plus two, and there were 65, I think it was what it was, that ended up at plus two. Some of the guys on the wrong side include Phil Mickelson. So, uh, again, so he, he had some some cons, and people mentioning his name as he got off to an early start. Shot 69 in the first round, came back yeah. with 74. Yeah. Uh, Mito yeah. Pereira uh, down the road. Jordan Spieth is in Jordan that. Jordan Spieth as well, yeah. Yeah, is in that group of plus three. So, uh, let's see, sliding down the, the list, Justin Rose, we mentioned he got off to a tough start. Came back in 68, but the 76 in the first round was tough. Max Homa, that was your pick yeah. and a lot of people's picks. He opened with 68, a tough 76, Bob, in the second round to drop him yeah. to plus four and down the road. So, yeah, there's some some good players that are not playing the weekend, but we will focus on those who are and a, a tremendous leaderboard. Hey, when we come back, uh, we are going to hear from Tony Finau, caught up with him after his first round. Also, some more sound from some of the leaders next here on our U.S. Open edition of Real Golf Radio. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. All right, welcome back. It's Real Golf Radio, U.S. Open edition. Thanks so much for being a part. At Real Golf is the Twitter handle. Follow us along. Join the conversation. Let us know what you think. An exciting leaderboard is shaping up for this weekend at L.A. Country Club. Big story in day number one, as we've touched on already. Ricky Fowler uh, goes out and does something that nobody had done in 122 previous Opens, and he shot 62. That's a magic number. Of course, Sanders Shoffley followed him up 20 minutes later and did the same thing thing but afterwards Ricky was asked if he was uh, trying to shoot a score or realized what he was doing out there I mean never really thought about a, a score or necessarily what I was trying to do out there the the first few days this week I wasn't feeling very comfortable swing and, and wasn't making many putts or hitting very good putts so continue to get working on the course as well as uh, on, the, on the practice area and finally a couple things clicked a bit yesterday um, and then it was more just go out, trust it, and, and let things happen. So, um, yeah, I knew there's birdies to be made out here, but you have to drive it well and get the ball in position first. Um, so, yeah, we did that, and from there just managed our way around really well. What do you think, Bob? Ricky Fowler is a guy that uh, hasn't uh, been his self you know, over the last few years, really, and now he's found his game. He's clawed his way back inside the top 50 and it, you know, has put himself here in a position with a record score in round number one and you know, right there at the top of the leaderboard heading into the weekend. Well, he's definitely swinging well. Um, you know, he's had a couple of three birdie stretches um, in his first two days, and uh, I think I like the idea that he said Butch only not only helps me with my um, my swing, but he's also a, a really good, um, kind of just life everyday coach. coach. Yeah. Pardon? Life coach. Yeah. Life coach in helping him. Plus, you know, he's grounded. Ricky's grounded now. He has a little daughter, um, married and has a little daughter. And, and like you said, he's clawed his way back and he's worked really, really hard. And now he's 45th in the world and, uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy right now. 
Ricky Fowler, um, good stuff. And you know what? Everybody seems to feel the same about Ricky Fowler. Xander Schauffele talked about, uh, you know, Ricky and getting to this point after his 62. Rick's awesome. He's truly uh, probably one of the, you know, one of the nicest guys out here. You know, I, I mean that when I say it. Um, and I couldn't be happier for him to, to, to see him in good form. Um, he's, you know, I've, I've played, being in, being in Florida a little bit more now, I've played some games with him and he's just a pleasure to be around. And um, it's not surprising to see him shoot eight under either. So um, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, he's able to get back in a good form and, and can compete at a high level. Ricky and Xander, the story day number one, 62s. And that, of course, brought a lot on about the golf course and how it was playing and whether it was good enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, and whether it was going to hold up under the conditions and, and that kind of thing. And you know what? Uh, Xander Shoffley had uh, this message around that question. The feel, the stands, everything, um, the competition definitely feels like a major in a U.S. Open. Um, you just you just wait till this place firms up. It's gonna be it's gonna be nasty. Gonna be nasty, Bob. We see that a little <laughs> bit on Friday afternoon, and I'm expecting more nastiness to raise its head here on the weekend. Look, I, I think LACC was getting a little bit of a bad rap early. You know, this is the first time we've seen this golf course in a major championship, and you know, so everyone was, hey, what are we doing here? Is it? Uh, I think somebody asked me on one of our interviews, is this the Las Vegas Invitational or the U.S. Open? And yeah. I just said, hey, hold on, right? I mean, look, and and. By the way, today's US, uh, USGA allows these players to play what the course will give them. They didn't try to go trick it up. They didn't try to mess with what this golf course had to offer. They simply had to play within the bounds that Mother Nature allowed. And, you know, with that, that cloud cover and the little mist that they got on Thursday morning, it was just soft. Well, and a couple thoughts that I have. First of all, this is the first time they've ever played this golf course in a USGA event. And because of that, they try to set up the golf course, like you said, the way the golf course allows, the way the golf course architects intended it to be. Gil Hance and, you know, um, did the restoration and they were trying to bring it back to the the, the original golf course um, by George Thomas. So um, they, the USGA did it that way with this golf course. Then the golf course has had Lots of rain and lots of moisture in it over the last month and a half, two months, this whole spring. And so the golf course has been really, really green. They turned off the sprinkling system in May and or towards the end of May, and the sprinklers haven't been on. Any water that's gone on the golf course has been hand-watered. Um, and, then, and then the other thing is, like you said, the weather. The morning scores have been the best scores the first two days. And because of that, um, that's because of the cloud layer and holding the moisture in the golf course, keeping the golf course a little bit more receptive. But uh, with the afternoon sun on Saturday, th things started to get a little bit firmer. You're starting to see those colors getting a little bit browner uh, in the fairways and in the rough and that kind of thing. And so it's uh, it's going to be quite the test. They're going to the USGA has their some tricks up their sleeves for Saturday and Sunday. Well, look, I mean, I don't even know if you need to have tricks. It's simply the sun's come out, as you said, with a little bit of breeze up there and some hole locations that will challenge these players uh, and force them to put on quite a show in order to be the U.S. Open champion at the end of the day. Tony Finau, after the first round, uh, we had a chance to catch up with him, and, and uh, he was a little sour, Bob. He On the yeah. eighth hole, it was his 17th hole, knocked it on in two, had 30 feet for eagle, um, put it up there to uh, inside of two feet and missed it for birdie. So three 
teapot pars don't sit well, and that led to this interview. Well, one round in the books. How, how was it out there? Yeah, it was good. I played really nicely. Hit a lot of good putts. Some went in, some didn't, but... I mean, other than that two-footer I just missed on my second-to-last hole for birdie, I played really nicely. That one's uh, that one's eating at you, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> it would be nice to be one shot better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, how about that putt on five? Yeah. I mean, some of those, you know, down-the-hill saver. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I made some nice putts. I mean, I yeah. probably still gain, stro- you know, gain shots putting, so that's always a good thing for me in, in major championships. You know, I usually hit it pretty good, and today, for sure, you know, hit it good enough. And yeah. um, But it was just important to make putts and you know par saves and that was nice what did you think about the golf course how did it play as far as bounciness or anything that we're used to in u.s opens that kind of thing yeah i think it played great you know i it's not as firm as some of the places in the past yet but with no rain on the forecast i can see them looking at these scores today and saying all right you know we'll uh, we'll go ahead and turn the holes off so um we'll see how it plays you know the rest of the week but i thought it was tough but very but very fair how does the uh, the golf course just in in general suit your eye? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a golf course that I like. You know, I, I, leading up into today, I think, um, you know, I, I said yesterday, I hope they add it to the you know to the rotation. I, I think I think it's a great course. I was talking with Jordan on our second to last hole, and he was saying the same thing. He thinks it's a great layout. You know, he didn't play good today, but you know, still just tells you, you know, from someone like him, it's, it's a great golf course. So I think it's a solid test and. I mean, you know, those two sixty twos are pretty, pretty special. You know, it, it doesn't matter how. Did you see that how, here? No, no, <laughs> I didn't see anybody shooting eight under. So, um, you know, kudos to them. Um, but you know, I had a nice round under par and a ride in the mix. When you're about to tee off in the afternoon and you see a couple of sixty twos posted, how does that change, if anything, your mindset? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, you just know you can make some birdies out there. You know, you know that it's there for the taking. You know, obviously the pin locations are, you know, accessible for the most part and. Um, you know, if a couple guys are doing it, it's one thing if one guy does it, but a couple guys are doing it, and you know, there's guys shooting four or five, then you know, you know, there's just play steady golf and you can make some birdies. So, I mean, again, you know, other than a couple of really small things, it was, it was a really good round by me. The fans were sitting up on six on the hillside, and when all three of you laid up, they were booing because they wanted to see some risks, you know, some, some <laughs> risky shots in there. What, what kind of conditions would it have to be to go for it there? Yeah, I mean, they pretty much just give you the fairway there, you know, so it's, it's hard. I, I watch, I, you know, we had the advantage of watching the guys this morning. Anybody who hit at the green couldn't get it with inside 10 feet no matter where they hit it. Mm-hmm. Guys were hitting it on the green, you know, just over, just short. Nobody could hit it inside 10 feet, and then you guys laying up are all hitting it inside 10 feet. So yeah. it pretty much just told us that's the advantage of, having, you know, playing in the afternoon. You, you get to see some putts. You get to see some shots and just know how the course is playing. So that specific hole – it was nice to have the guys in the morning kind of tell us, all right, this yeah. is a lot easier if you just lay up here. It's kind of sweat free. So that was nice. Is there any um, particular reason you would try to go at that green at all? Um, no, no, there's not, there's not a pin that, that, that that's a good, yeah. you know, that that's a good play. Yeah. The miss is in that left bunker, but that brings in all the fescue if you miss yeah. the left of that bunker. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'll be going for that. It's a, I just went five iron lob wedge today. I mean, tomorrow I might go six iron lob wedge because yeah. today I had to hit a five because it's into the wind. But yeah. if there's no wind, I mean, I could hit a six or seven iron and hit a lob wedge to the green. So yeah. when it gives you the fairway like that, Absolutely. it's kind of hard to take. Yeah. Not just take that 90, 80 yard shot. Yeah. So I'll yeah. probably just be laying up. Awesome. Thanks. 
There you go. That was Tony Fino. That's about as salty as he gets, by the way. That that's the salty <laughs> Tony, and that is very uh, a, a very generous and and very uh, friendly Tony. Uh, but but yeah. you can tell he was he was burning a little bit hot after that three putt par on on his seventeenth hole, the eighth. Yeah, but you know, even after having said that, you know, you miss a little short one like that, and you miss a couple earlier in the round. He still made some great putts, and uh, and he's done that over the first two days. His putting has been. Um, very nice. Um, and yeah, he's missed a few, but, but that's okay because you're going to do that. And guys are going to do that in this golf tournament in, in a U.S. open golf tournament. So, but for the most part, he's striking the ball really, really well, keeping himself in position. And that's the whole thing about this golf course is that if you get yourself out of position, then you're going to have a, you're going to have a tough time. Well, and you think about Tony, this is, you know, normally we look at his stats and he's gaining all kinds of strokes off the tee and even approaching and around the green, but his strokes gain putting or holding him back. It's just the opposite this week. He's uh, plus 1.26 in strokes gained putting, and he's given up a shot off the tee. Strokes yeah. gained off the tee. So hitting just 14, uh, let's see, 14 of the 26 fairways over the first two rounds, that's tied for 134th. Tony's tied for 10th. Tony's right up there, you know, and yeah. uh, he's, he's gaining almost three shots in his approach. So he, and a great example was uh, Friday in, uh, I believe it was the 16th, 17th hole. He was off to the right side. He was in the hazard, moved some cables, complete like three or four or five inch, you know, hay, and he knocks it on onto the green. It was an amazing play. It was yeah. just really, really well done. So, uh, you know, he, he has the, uh, the ability with his strength to be able to get himself out of uh, some, some tough spots. But I, I would say if I'm looking at this stats, and I don't know what he and Boyd are working on, but I would think that he, you know, if Tony could drive it, keep it, hit a few more fairways out there, that's going to put himself in even better position because even with missing, and he's not must, must not be missing by much, he's still able to, uh, to get out there. Greens and reg, tied for 104, 21 of 36. And tied for 70th in number of putts, but again, gaining strokes compared compared to the rest of the field at uh, plus 1.26. So, yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. We'll see Tony in that mix with a lot of good players. They're chasing the the, the guys there uh, on the leaderboard. So, hey, we're going to talk more about that. Uh, hopefully, we'll catch up with Boyd Summerhays later on in the show. Johnny Miller. Uh, 50 years ago, shot 63 in the final round to come from behind on Sunday at Oakmont and win the 73 Open. You've heard it, and he was honored with the Bob Jones Award by the USGA this week. He was there in attendance. It was great to see him. Posted a picture on our Twitter and Instagram if you want to check that out, at Real Golf or at Real Golf Radio. And... We recalled an interview from a few years ago where he went through that final round with us. You'll hear that coming up next. A little tribute to Johnny, 50 years from the 63 here on Real Golf Radio. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. It's not really what you expect playing the U.S. Open, but monkey see, monkey do. Uh, was just chasing Ricky up the leaderboard, so um, glad he was just in front of me. Xander Schauffele chasing Ricky Fowler to a pair of 62s on day one of the 123rd U.S. Open at L.A. Country Club North. Welcome back to the show, Brian Taylor, Bob Casper. It was interesting that just uh, a day before all of that took place, Johnny Miller was honored for the with the Bob Jones Award, the Bobby Jones Award by the USGA. It's a high distinguished honor. And it was also the anniversary of Johnny Miller's 63 in the final round of the 73 Open 
at Oakmont when he chased everybody down from six shots back and, and won the U.S. Open, something that he felt destined to win. And so with all of that talk and honoring Johnny, he even said, he goes, yeah, somebody will shoot lower, but if you got to go out there and do it to win. That's what really means something. Doing it in the final round to win, yeah. he really hangs his hat on that, which, of course, why wouldn't you? That, yeah. There is something. There's a d- definitely more pressure on a Sunday to go out and do that and win than there is if you just go out there on the first round. As you kind of heard there from, from Xander, it was just kind of like, hey, I'll just, uh, I'm just going to follow Ricky up the leaderboard. You know, Ricky had 10 birdies and two bogeys in the first round. <laughs> 10 birdies. Uh, yeah. And Xander had eight birdies and no bogeys. And the first bogey he made was like maybe. I think eight holes in on the second day. Eight holes like in in the second round. Yeah. yeah. On Saturday. So, yeah. or on Friday. But um, yeah, Xander, you know, Xander, you're the guy, you're the stat guy. And you always like to look at Xander as far as stats are concerned. Xander's played in this thing six times and he's, he's, He's made the cut every time, and he's always finished inside the top twenty or the top ten. So this is this is kind of a golf course that Xander really really likes, and um, you can't you can't count him out. He's going to hang around all the way through. Yeah, he's had five top tens in those six. Five top tens. His average yeah. finish. His average finish is sixth. So, yep. and not to mention coming in on the week, he was twelfth in strokes gained. A sixth in strokes gained approach, twelfth in strokes gained putting, and fourth in strokes gained total. So look, the guy's obviously any Southern California guy. So I, I, I like him, and and he's playing well, and I think he's going to be. I think he's going to have something to say about it before it's all said and done. But uh, before we get too carried away, we'll talk more about the leaders. Uh, we did, as we mentioned, wanted to do a little tribute to Johnny Miller. He's a good friend of ours. He spent a lot of time on the show. In fact, this interview that we found was from 2011. Um, we also did another, we did so many interviews with him over the years, but <laughs> it was pretty cool to be able to go back and listen to Johnny talk about, you know, that Sunday 63. So here you go. Enjoy Johnny Miller a few years ago, recanting that round. Can you just sum up in, in a couple of minutes, what happened back in 73 on that final round? Well, you know, I played the first two rounds with Arnold Palmer, which in itself made that open win pretty amazing. Um, uh, you know, Arnold in 1973 in his backyard at Oakmont right. uh, to to win that thing was just was fantastic uh, on my part to be able to play those first two with him, go through that gauntlet of the Palmer galleries, and uh, so we were both in third place or something after. And then I had the bad uh, third round. Uh, I left my yardage card um, back at the house, and it was about 40 minutes away. And Linda, I told Linda. Uh, when I was going to the fir- uh, going down the first hole, I don't have my yardage card. I got a local caddy. Uh, we couldn't bring our own tour caddies in. My local caddy, who knows what his step was? Everybody stepped their own yardage off. So he had no idea what kind of step he had. And, and you know, in those days, these young guys have no idea how lucky they are with laser yardage. Yardages. We used to have to walk our own yardages. But I was five over after seven. And you know, basically, had blown myself out of the open and uh, hung in there really. To shoot five over for the day, and now I'm six shots back, and I was pretty disappointed because I'd come close in several U.S. Opens before that, and I was really groomed to be a U.S. Open champion by my dad and playing Olympic Club and Pebble Beach growing up. So I somehow thought it was going to be my Open, and Sunday morning I really didn't really feel like I had a chance to win, and I don't know, just basically went out there little tip came into my head, right? Well, I had about four balls to go on the driving range and said very clearly, just open your stance way up. And it was like, 
probably the clearest tip that's ever come to my head. And it was like, why would I want to do that? I almost had to talk to this thought that came in and just said, open your stance way up. And so I thought, well, what the heck, I'll try a couple like that and hit them pretty good. Well, I actually hit them perfect the last four or five balls. And I was going to the first hole and thinking, geez, do I really want to try this? And I thought, well, what the heck, I always listen to my little inner self, so to speak. And so I, uh, you know, just had a great start. I hit a five iron, probably the hardest hole in the world starting out is the first hole at Oakmont with the craziest green you've ever seen. And hit a five iron about five feet, and then the next hole hit an eight iron about six inches, and the next hole played left of the hole. I played away from the flagstick twice on the fourth and the 16th, but I made a 15-foot birdie on four, and I almost made eagle on, uh, on a long bunker shot on the fourth hole. So I'm four under after four, and now I'm doing the typical math that everybody does when they're having a pretty good day, which is the last thing you should be doing. I'm thinking, wow, I'll stick <laughs> back. And, gee, I buried the first four, and the leaders are going to be gagging, I know. And so probably going to only be one back when they get to the fifth tee. So I got a chance to win this thing. So, of course, a shot of adrenaline went through my system and and basically started gagging with my putter. I left it short on two 12-footers on on uh, five and six, and then eighth, I hit a beautiful forward underneath the holder on 235-yard par three, and three putted from 15 feet straight uphill, left it short and missed a three-footer, lipped out, and then that sort of went from maybe a little bit nervous to sort of mad at myself, you know, really got sort of peed off at myself, and I just settled back in and birdie nine and birdie 11, birdie 12 and 13, and 15, and then, you know, as you guys uh, played away from the pin at 16, made a good two-putt, and then lifted out on 17 and went down in the hole and came back out at the 18. So I hit every green of regulation, and average birdie putt was about eight, eight feet, seven, eight feet, 18 times. So it was it was, it was the best ball-striking round I've ever seen. I don't, you know, I've watched Tiger in the year 2000, and I've seen David Duvall, and I've seen, of course, Billy Gasper, I've seen Palmer and Nicholas and all these guys. That, that was a crazy tee to green round, is all I can tell you. I'm not sure where it came from, but that was a crazy round tee to green. Uh, ben Hogan would have said, nice going. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Hey, Johnny, thanks for recounting that. That's awesome to hear. And uh, can someone do that today? Is it is Zoakmont going to be, is it even going to be possible for someone to do that today? Well, you know, I have the, they had that overnight rain at Oakmont. That really helped. If you hit a perfect shot, you could, you know, you could stop the ball. The only way anybody's going to really go low there is it's going to need the greens to be a little softer, and then it's just going to have to be an outer body type of performance, tee right. to green. Because I was underneath the hole, putting straight uphill like 16 out of 18 holes, which is, you know, it's pretty hard to do. Those greens have got so much tilt. And if you're above the hole or even equal with the hole, you, you know, I said on the air at the Players' Championship, the average 10-footer, I always go on 10-footers when I do my homework at these telecasts, the average 10-footer at the Players' Championship is about inside left edge or inside right edge. The average 10-footer at Oakmont is about an 8-inch break. So instead of a half-inch break, you know, there's 1,600% more break at Oakmont. So, I mean, you're talking about wow. putts to break 10, 15, 20 feet, I mean, if you're in the wrong spot on the green. So it, they're, just, it, they're just crazy greens. If you're not hitting your irons exactly where you're supposed to, you're going to have a nightmarish round. And, nightmarish week so these guys are going to be pulling their hair out if the greens run pretty firm so it'll be really fun to see who really brings their a game and can hit the ball well enough to shoot around par and if somebody could shoot a couple under a total if the tigers on or phil plays the way he did the last round 
at the players. He's he's the guy to watch for right now. He's got a lot of momentum and he's got that cut going and he's not push cutting it like he was at Wingfoot. So if he drives it well, I I, I think Phil's going to win the Open. I just had to leave that last part in there just because Johnny predicting Phil to win the Open in 2007, the year after he blew it at Wingfoot in 2006. Yeah. So, of course, we know Angel Cabrera went on to win that week. But, um, yeah, yeah, so that was kind of some cool stuff, right? Hopefully you enjoyed that. Johnny Miller recounting his 63 and, again, honored by the USGA this week with the Bobby Jones Award on the 50th anniversary of his 63 back in 1973 at Oakmont. What, what stood out to you? I mean, you heard the guy like he was literally dialed in i know everybody's gonna listen oh, yeah. to that and be like oh my gosh johnny's so cocky and whatnot but look he's yeah he's he's certainly confident and uh he, but he delivered i mean that round is exactly what he said it was yeah you know the thing that uh was so stellar about johnny was his ball striking and his irons and uh in fact he when he did his yardages he and andy martinez his longtime caddy they would go in half yards and not full yards um, he was that precise with what he was able to do and his carry distances and everything, you know, and you think about the guys in today's game, how they have the track mans and all the different, um, you know, flight scope and all those things that help them know what's going on day to day with their irons. And Johnny was a guy that was a phenomenal iron player and always knew based on, on what he's, what his game was like you know, how to, how to hit irons that were close to the hole. And he had more leaners and, and shots close to the hole. My dad always told me this than anybody he ever knew. And, uh, and that's why he was such a great player. Yeah, well, I mean, and he didn't have a yardage book. We're going to talk no. to the caddy nope. coming up on the back nine. We'll ask him about that. But his yardage, he, ta- he called it a yardage card, which he forgot yes. that Saturday. Yep. So he was going blind. And not to mention, as he as he pointed out, they basically had caddies in a hat. And you just drew out some local caddy that he, you didn't even know from Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And his caddy had never caddied for anybody that had, that had broke 85. <laughs> That's a true story. So he's got a guy yep. carrying his bag that it, that he's never seen anything like this, and and Johnny's out there shooting sixty three, and despite all of that, and he forget yep. the one he shot. What he shoot seventy six or whatever on Saturday. That was without that card, but that card was literally telling him things like left side of the tee box, four iron to this distance, right? I mean, it was. Yes. It wasn't a whole lot, and he talked about steps, you know, stepping it off. So, yeah, you're yep. right. I mean, we watched practice rounds this week at L.A., Bob, and, uh, you know, Boyd Summerhays out there with uh, Preston and Tony, and they're carrying that rangefinder and, um, yep. like, their shot tracer. They're, they've got all of the data that they need right at their fingertips yep. for every shot, for every hole, for the pra- entire practice round. So yeah. their calculations yeah. are are off the charts compared to what Johnny did back in the day, if you will. But anyway, congrats to Johnny Miller and the 50th anniversary of that incredible round and his win at the 73 Open and the winner of the Bob Jones Award this year at LA Country Club. When we come back, we'll wrap up our number one. You're listening to U.S. Open edition of Real Golf Radio. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. All right, welcome back. Thanks uh, to Johnny Miller uh, and those comments from years ago. Hope you enjoyed that. Tony Finau for spending a couple minutes with us after his opening round. And uh, coming up on the back nine, hour number two, it's America's favorite caddy. A little two-part series as we usually do in these majors 
breaking down the golf course and some of the statistics and things that stand out. The caddy loves, absolutely loves the U.S. Open, although for him, he likes it to be a little more difficult. Not sure he likes 29 guys under par, but um, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, we will welcome in the caddy for an extended conversation. Yeah, it's difficult when you play a golf course that you have never played before in a U.S. Open and then to be able to set it up and make it so that it plays like the golf course is intended to, you just don't know what's going to happen. And uh, with that moisture in it, that's why we've seen these great scores. Double cutting and rolling greens, that'll do something, though. Speeds will continue to speed up, and uh, the sun was out on Friday afternoon and expected to be some decent weather over the weekend. So here's hoping that uh, it does become that. I'll tell you what, it already feels pretty dang slick on those greens, Bob. I, I oh. think, I'm watching some of these putts. They barely tap them, and they can get yeah. away from you quick. So the skill that it takes for these players to be as accurate as they are, putting on pool tables, I think Zinger said, and that's what it feels like. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, stay tuned. Caddy's on the back. Uh, we'll hear more from some of the players and leaders and give you our thoughts on uh, the weekend and getting you ready for those final two rounds. 123rd edition of the U.S. Open. This is Rogue Golf Radio.